Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Jijong, a culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing the Underground Railroad, an all-history epic about the rotten foundation of the United States, and Couples Therapy, uh, a docuseries about untangling issues that are sort of rooted in the past to try to address current problems in love and marriage oh it's a doozy this week eh yeah i'm excited i've uh i learned what doozy meant like <laughs> a couple months ago so now i'm using it all the time is this like uh, american is this an exclusively corny american yes. word uh, yes like many corny american words i thought it meant something else than what it actually what, means. What did you think it meant? I thought it meant like something that makes you fall asleep. Oh, like kind of like of, doze or snooze. Like a, yeah, because of the way that it. Yeah, because of the word. That makes sense. That is yeah. an understandable misunderstanding. But it's okay. You learn something new every day. I'm still stuck on vindicated. Like I always thought vindicated meant punished. Oh, um, it does sound yeah. kind of like spiky and cruel That's in a way. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, language. Anyway, how have Love you been, it. Jenny? How's your week been? <laughs> Uh, my week has been, uh, educational or, I don't know, so- something. I started my new job this week, so. Yay! Still getting my feet wet and trying to be better <laughs> and bring myself up to speed and, I don't know, like, get into it, but. Yeah. We'll see. You'll get there. New yeah. Jobs. I mean, <laughs> you're gonna be queen of the ocean before you know it. Like, don't worry about it. It's gonna be Jenny o'clock all the time, baby. I'm oh, so excited. God. Thank I'm you so, so excited. Much. Um, now, Pellin, I know you were touring homes or apartments. Yes. I mean, how did yeah. it go? What What's up with you? Well, we didn't get the apartment uh, that we initially wanted, but it's okay because it was really expensive. So, you know, good luck to whoever's running that one out. But we did get <laughs> our backup, which is pretty close to where we're living now. It just has a really nice terrace. Mm. So I'm excited to get my fingers green and go to Lowe's and get oh, like a whole yeah. bunch of like plants and herbs and shit. Get my rake going, you know, my sun hat. Oh I really God. see it for myself, so I'm excited about that. Unfortunately, uh, this move is happening with a fat trip to London, bang in the middle of it. So, yeah, when, with the second we get back from London, we're going to start packing and figuring that mess out. But wow. Big I'm excited. Time. Yeah, so that's that's happening. But in the meantime, I know that we've both been watching something that is pretty, pretty heavy. So why don't you lead us in, Jenny? Yeah. This week, I am talking about the Underground Railroad, which I think most of you listeners, probably you have heard about it at least. Um, I hope you've watched it or you will watch it because as they're going to discuss, like, it is really something. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is on Amazon Prime Video. Obviously, it's a new limited series by Barry Jenkins, like the the wonderful Barry Jenkins based on the Pulitzer Prize winning novel by Colson Whitehead. Um, I haven't read the novel, to be clear, so I can't speak to any aspects of like what he's changed or what is like the mm. same or anything like that. Have you read the novel, uh, by the way? I have. Yeah, I have read it. It's been a while mm-hmm. since I've read it. But yeah, I have read it. Okay, so you will have a little bit more knowledge kind of on, I guess, on that front. Yeah. Um, so to give a summary of the, the series and kind of the novel it's based on, it's Basically, kind of like an alt history, like magical realist, you know, epic set in the antebellum South. So in this world, the Underground Railroad has been like literalized. It's, it's a real subterranean, like railroad with trains and just like this escape route for uh, runaway slaves. So the main character, Cora, um, played by Tuso Mbedu, she's been a slave her whole life in Georgia. Um, she gets convinced to escape from her plantation by, uh, this fellow slave, her friends and potential love interest named Caesar. So then the, the story sort of follows her. She takes the railroad from state to state. She goes from Georgia to South Carolina to North Carolina to Tennessee, uh, finally Indiana. And all while she's being pursued by a white slave catcher, um, Arnold Ridgway, played by Joel Edgerton. Yeah. Who, yeah, he is. Jesus, just like in this in, role. I mean, it's just it is such genius to cast him because he's. I feel like he's such an underutilized actor. But yeah, sorry, please continue. Yeah, but he's obsessed with capturing Cora because the only runaway that he never caught was her mother Mabel, who left the plantation like a decade ago, and she was just never seen again. So this is like a huge part of like Cora's 
you know, story as well. Mm. And just like her as a person and like what yeah. sort of like traumatizes her. Um, yeah. and Ridgeway is accompanied by, uh, his assistant, who's this young, like very small young black boy, um, played by Chase W. Dillon. So that is sort of the brief summary of this. Although mm-hmm. there's just like so much that. Yeah. Really, it's hard to get into everything. But yeah, yeah. Colin, how far are you in, in the series? I've got to say, I left it really late to start watching this because I just knew, I knew what it was about. Like, I read the book, I knew what it's about. I knew uh, the effect that Barry Jenkins has on me. I know the effect that Nicholas Brattel's soundtrack has on me. Mm-hmm. So it was very, um, I, I had to kind of break, like, emotionally prepare myself yeah. for it. So I've only watched, uh, the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. It's just, Honestly, like knowing that, I I think it's a, it's low key a blessing if you haven't read the book because when you know what happens and the the story beats of the book, mm. you're you're pretty much not letting up because there's not really a moment of respite. <laughs> like yeah. you're just um, it's always something just in terms of like something that happens to Cora that yeah. she has to deal with and then move on to the next, which is obviously a perfect encapsulation of what enslavement might have m- meant to someone mm-hmm. during this time in this place. So yeah, yeah. Just to, just the first two episodes. What about you? What, where are you at right now? So I finished it. Um, mm. I'll I'll say yesterday at this time of record. And I was also, you know, it works best really if you pace yourself um, because this is a work. And people have commented, you know, critics have noted that like it's kind of a disservice that all of it was dumped at once on you know Prime Video. Like it yeah, yeah, deserves kind of a slow unfold, maybe a weekly treatment versus kind of what it is now where it seems like you know maybe people feel that not enough people are watching it or talking about it or savoring it slowly um so definitely take your time with it but i will say like it took me about a week to get through all the episodes and i was like really kind of like pushing it a little fast because i wanted to talk about it this week but yeah yeah it starts out quite hard to watch um Mm -hmm. just in like the first episode right off the bat there's so much pain and violence and brutality yeah i mean there's a pretty lengthy disclaimer right at the beginning yeah so i was a little bit reluctant to keep going because i was like this is really fucking hard to watch just like emotionally difficult but i'm so glad i i kept going at the pace i did because by the end of it i'm i can say like with pretty much like fair certainty that this is one of the best works of tv or really anything i've seen on the screen in in a long time in recent memory yeah um so it's absolutely worth watching worth your time worth your thoughts worth every bit of emotion totally yeah 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 so one of the things that is kind of most striking about it so far is is its cinematic quality and i say cinematic um because that's the the word that a lot of people are using to describe it a lot of critics and by cinematic not meaning just it looks expensive which obviously it was incredibly it totally does yeah yeah Um, yeah but also just the the actual cinematography is like the quality that you would find in a very well made movie and shout out to mm-hmm. the cinematographer james laxton who is like a longtime collaborator of barry jenkins is since they were roommates in college apparently um, cute so they have this working relationship so you know there are a few different aspects to this and one of them which is really i think notable a lot of people can see quite clearly is the camera work and just like how it glides across the screen it like swivels it does these slow and deliberate pans Mm -hmm. it pulls back to reveal like the landscapes it they obviously use drones to get like some of the kind of bird's eye views it like Mm -hmm. zooms in like on individual faces and then also kind of takes the the perspective of different characters so it's like Mm -hmm. the gaze of different people fucking fantastic Uh, yeah i mean it's like such a classic jenkins move um, he loves a deliberate shot and he loves eyes of the windows of the soul of the character. Mm, yeah. Like he loves his establishing shots of character, like what we would call a hero shot, which is like a full length pan out and then pull in. He loves, oh, it's, it's, you know, sometimes it can feel a little bit, it kind of takes you out of it. I think if Bill Street could talk was one of those instances where I wasn't sure if it worked as well. It didn't really gel as well together, but I think obviously in moonlight and then with with this it really works like mm-hmm. it it matches the mood and what he's trying to communicate i also really fucking love the the light uh the use of lighting mm. um, and, yeah you know angelica jade bastion in in vulture she had this really great description of it um where she's like 
Jenkins' camera captures something I've always recognized in the South, the particularities of the sunlight. Mm. Um, so she describes, like, being home in Louisiana, the light is kind of like honey, thick and sweet. And mm-hmm. here, like, in the different states, this is all filmed in Georgia, by the way, so they did mm. not go to the different states, but they kind of recreated different feelings, I guess. Yeah. Um, just like the, the word that came to mind for me is just like sun dappled, which is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, corny, but it, no, like, it's true. Yeah. Like everything, the light filtering through leaves, there's so many lens flares mm-hmm. and just like backlit forms and like the sunlight kind of obscuring faces and details, like, yeah, even more than, uh, like heavy use of shadow. Yeah. So the light is really textural and, and gorgeous in this as well. And the way that it changes color throughout the day, mm-hmm. you know, the way it goes from like a bright white at high noon or like the morning warmth and the orange and then the, you know, right before the sun sets, the pinks and the purples mm-hmm. in the sky. Yeah. Um, it's really gorgeous. Yeah. 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 And you mentioned Nicholas Spratel, so I'm mm-hmm. obviously like sound is a big thing here. The the score he composes like is gorgeous, but also really taken by like the way that they ramp up the volume for these environmental sounds like the cicadas mm-hmm. or like Blacksmith's Forge or whatever at these moments of really high tension. So it's kind mm-hmm. of like a you feel almost like a sense of dread when you when you hear like these sounds fill the silence because you know yeah. like okay, something's happening this is a pivotal moment and really something bad is gonna happen yeah it's very visceral which is you know when you are showcasing somebody going through trauma um on screen the thing about trauma is like the certain details really stand out to you Mm -hmm. um like the sound of a certain thing that envelops your mind and then you kind of like don't hear anything else or you don't see anything else it's beautiful because it matches uh, the mood that is trying to be showcased, but it, it also really kind of puts yourself in the mind of someone who is going through something quite traumatic mm-hmm. in the moment that they're going through it. Totally. The technical, just like accomplishment of this aside, like the, the story itself mm-hmm. obviously is really, it, I don't want to use the word moving because that seems kind of so reductive, but there's just like so much terrible trauma and pain that's like interspersed with some moments of, you know, love and hope that mm-hmm. kind of like, exacerbate how extreme you know the other side of the spectrum is and like vice versa really like through a a lifetime of like relentless pain and violence and brutality like finding the moments of some semblance of like happiness or love uh or hope where you can Mm. get it yeah that was really striking um i Mm. i know that you're you know you haven't gone this far in the series but i'll say like helen when you get to i think episodes like eight and nine when Mm -hmm. Cora's in Indiana. She finally feels maybe somewhat safe um, mm-hmm. at this black-owned farm, the Valentine Farm. These are some of the best episodes, I think, because mm. really, like, you feel her sense of like a little bit of relief, a little bit of hope. She yeah. maybe can find love here. She maybe can find a home here. Um, yeah. But also the knowledge, especially you know, if you're familiar with the story, mm-hmm. you know that tragedy and like devastation is coming and it's going to be all the worse because of how much of a light this this community and this like moment in time has been for her and for Mm -hmm. all these people Um, yeah yeah i mean the the way that jenkins really envelops you in the moment of in the moments of joy like at the end of episode one where they're running towards the red like the the house with the red roof because that's Mm -hmm. the first station yeah that run made me cry so much obviously the score and the the you know the slow motion of it and the way that i don't know that there's there's just that kind of like boundless desperation to get to that point Mm -hmm. that is a moment of happiness that is a moment to be happy and then even in episode two where they are like when uh cora and caesar are dancing together mm-hmm. and oh. you see them interact and it's so and again like i love it because you need to see these characters have moments of peace and yeah. happiness you do yeah. but at the same time it's very accurate in that i guess as a general rule of life but also especially in moments in a moment of history like this with characters like this you are uh, the swings are th- there's going to be a swing. Yeah, there has to be a swing. It, yeah. w- for every good, there is a bad. Unfortunately, and unfortunately, because of this moment that they are in, and because of who they are, their swings are honestly traumatic. Yes. Like you have the the good is great, but it makes 
that the the journey, the way that you see them see the other end of it, like when they realize what's happening in the place that they're in and Griffin. Mm-hmm. The thing that I will say that is captured perfectly about this, Cora as a character, and the the beauty of the Underground Railroad book was how layered Cora's character is, just in terms of like, you know, you you, you mentioned her mother leaving. She has abandonment issues right she has been abandoned by by her mother her only family that she knows Mm -hmm. to exist Uh, and the anger that she feels towards her you know the rage that sits within her on top of the you know the rage that she has for how she's treated as an enslaved person Mm -hmm. but like that thing that is um orbiting her that anger that is orbiting her the anger that she has for her mother is really encapsulated perfectly especially by Mbedu. like i think she's such a good actress like there's so much layer in her pain and in her eyes whatever i felt about the book and what i liked about it is being really well executed in this tv show yeah yeah that, yeah that seems to be the the consensus mm-hmm. um I'm, I'm curious like in the book if you remember reading did we get more of cora's like internal thoughts or narration yeah. or anything okay yes Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of how she saw the world. Mm-hmm. We got to know more about her and how she receives trauma and traumatic mm-hmm. events. She's she's a skeptical character. She's someone that is always she she kind of doesn't know how to relax, which is understandable completely. Mm-hmm. Even in the moments where she should be, she's a little bit like she's also expecting something bad to happen, and then it does, which is like the most heartbreaking part about yeah. Uh, she's sorry about it. Proven right yeah. every time. Yeah. 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 Okay, that's interesting to hear. I think, mm-hmm. like, definitely some aspects of that, like her fear, her skepticism, her her mm-hmm. anger, um, those are definitely reflected on screen. I thought it was an interesting choice or, like, notable that, you know, she really is, like, one of the characters who we end up knowing the least about, um, mm-hmm. besides, mm-hmm. you know, her, her mother, her past, um, growing yeah. up on this plantation. And again, I'm going to reference this review for Vulture by Angelica mm-hmm. Jade Bastion because it was really, I think, one of the best I've, I've read on this show. She said uh, one of her frustrations was that the realizing that, um, quote, like, Cora is an utter cipher. So she uh, kind of like everything she does is a trauma response, which yeah, is exactly, totally yeah. right. But then like yeah. Angelica Jade Bastion, she wonders like, Okay, but my reaction to this, my frustration, seeing how blank she is, how, like, what a cipher she is, mm-hmm. she's, like, catches herself. She writes, like, isn't it enough that Cora is just starting to survive? Why yeah. do I want such a specific narrative of, like, catharsis and tr- triumphs that the show refuses? Um, yeah. And she concludes, you know, basically, I guess I was looking for something that, quote, life can't provide. Mm-hmm. I wanted yeah. what no show or archive can possibly provide, a history. Yeah rewritten and made whole so like there's this acknowledgement that you know maybe one of the the weaknesses or or question marks that people could come away with watching this is like wow i really still did not feel like i knew the protagonist that the heart and soul Mm. of this thing um but also the the acknowledgement the knowledge that like okay but this is sometimes just how it is sometimes all someone can do who's trying to survive is like respond uh through trauma and just Mm -hmm. like through sheer survival instinct and yeah they cannot afford much more and you know sometimes that that's all they can give and that's enough totally yeah i mean so the thing about cora is that her central tension is the fact that she is angry at her mother for abandoning her Mm -hmm. and throughout the book and i'm assuming in the tv show it's just memories Mm -hmm. with her mother and she doesn't like the only way for Cora to really settle into who she is and to understand the way that she is and the way that she kind of closes in on herself and the way that her trauma responses are what they are, the only way to move past that is to have closure with her mother, which she never really gets. Yeah. You know? We do get some insight, unfortunately, from the person, that the antagonist, um, Edgerton's character. Mm-hmm. In, in the first episode, he has an interaction with her that basically is he's trying to tell you what it is about her yeah you know she her anger anger will consume her and it's true it will and there's no way out of it that's not her fault you know it's not her fault that she was abandoned by by her mother it's not her fault that she is enslaved it's not her fault that in her rage she has to run away and she ends up killing someone you know like it's it's 
it's incredibly unfair and i think that's kind of i think that's what whitehead was trying to say yeah. was that this person is who they are because of the unfair situation that they have been forced in and sometimes there's no real solution to it because yeah. sometimes a solution is macro level which is never going to happen or not in her reality at that point no yeah absolutely really like i want to highlight also like as you mentioned joel edgerton his character ridgeway actually a lot of the sort of side characters including like caesar played by aaron pierre and just Mm. they are so wonderful and like not Mm -hmm. wonderful and like oh they're great people but just like so unforgettable these performances and their characters super textured yeah 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 Yeah. um even like people who are only in there for a brief time uh it's just like it's crazy honestly how developed and how much they add to this the story and this world that they're building out um and i also want to highlight the the spectacular world building which of course, mm. so much of this has to be attributed to Colson Whitehead. This is his his world, his, his you know work. But just like watching so much of this unfold through the literal Underground Railroad, and there are so many questions I had, like where did the railroad come from? Who built it? Mm-hmm. Who were the conductors, the engineers? Like which ancestors sort of like spearheaded this? Like what kind of alternative world is this? In, in the best way possible, yeah. not from a place of dissatisfaction, but a place of like. This world that they built is so intriguing, and um, yeah, it's a kind of it's thing. almost it's almost dreamlike, isn't yeah, it? yeah, very like um, you know that magical realist element. Like if you stumble upon kind of like a you know a portal to another dimension, you're like you just want to know more, um, as mm-hmm. much as you would not want to know more about like Alice in Wonderland or any other place. Yeah, um, so that was a really. I think like big factor of just like enjoyment for me, just wanting to learn more about this, you know, terrible and beautiful world. Uh, yeah. All in one breath. In this depiction, it is like you're in Hades world, mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah. a different dimension. It's a different dimension. It feels multidimensional. Yeah. Because of, because of how far down the, the railroad goes. You know, yeah, there is this association with the underworld and actually the mm-hmm. underworld here is like where they find safety. salvation and safety. Yeah. 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 What was there anything else, you know, as you're watching this so far that kind of strikes you like any other aspects of this that you're enjoying or that you're wondering about I guess for future episodes. I think um it's interesting cuz we talked about Good Lord Bird, right? And yeah. that is also at a time it's it's an inc- and it's also based on a book. Incredibly different treatment because the protagonist mm-hmm. is obviously different. I think a part of my not my slowness to start this is I knew how much of an effect it would have on me emotionally, mm-hmm. but it's also the fact that I knew that this is like many shows about and books about you know that period of American history. There's a lot of depiction of trauma, yeah, and there's a there it is trying to also remind because this is a country that is dedicated to forgetting its sordid past. Yes. Um, so it it's trying to remind because there just does not seem to be a real accountability. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. But I found it interesting that obviously when this when the trailer came out, I think everyone was super excited when the trailers came out. But then once the show was actually released there was a lot of like chatter about like do we need another one of these like why do we keep having to show black pain on screen which is a very valid question Mm -hmm. um i will say that now that i've started it there is a part of me that still wishes that we didn't have to show black pain on screen obviously but this treatment is there's something very poetic about the way that Barry Jenkins has approached this mm-hmm. and there are certain layers to this that are really I mean it's not even that he's an excellent filmmaker because we know this but it's just the thoughtfulness that has gone into this I don't feel that way anymore you know as I'm watching this I it just kind of feels a little bit more nuanced than how people kind of take away from the initial knee jerk reaction of like do we need to see black pain on screen there's nothing there's nothing about this that feels um Ex- exploitative indulgent like in- yeah, yeah yeah indulgent or exploitative so yeah it, it, and I think so much of that again has to do with Cora and because of the way that he she has been you know Mbedu has been directed by Barry Jenkins to be because he's an excellent I think he's such a good um actors director like he knows how to give direction to his actors in a way that brings out a performance in them that is so 
light to the touch, but so heavy on its impact. But yeah, it is, um, it, it's a lot, man. Like it's, it's really, really a lot, but I just appreciate the amount of thought that has gone into this. Yeah. And I, so. I read in, I think it was an interview for the Times or Piece of the Times. Mm-hmm. Like Barry Jenkins was talking about, you know, the moment when he nearly quit or gave up on this project was mm. basically after there started being reactions online where they were like, you know, sort of knee jerk responses where it was mm-hmm. exactly as you're saying, people were like, do we really need something else like this? Like, mm-hmm. you know, all of these representations on, on screen that mm-hmm. are so full of pain and trauma, mm-hmm. like, do we need more of this? And that, mm-hmm. according to the piece in the Times, was for Barry Jenkins, that was a moment where he was like, maybe they're right. Like, this is, that was the closest he came to mm-hmm. basically just reversing course and being like, fuck this, I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah. Um, but he thought it was so important to keep going to actually see it um they did focus groups in i think georgia mm. where they asked people um you know black participants they asked them like first of all do you think this novel should be adapted at all and like which parts of it were most moving to you um of course this is like amazon so yeah they're gonna pull out like <laughs> yeah. the focus group thing <laughs> sure um, yeah 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 <laughs> but yeah like barry jenkins like he reportedly he he was like really struck by how of people who responded in the focus group, they were like, yes, like adapt it. Like it's important to see it. And so he kept through with it. And I'm really glad he did. I think, I think in terms of like the question, the very like valuable question of like, do we want all depictions of us to be in this particular setting, this particular mode of violence? I mean, I just wish there weren't, of course, like so many shitty depictions of that. Mm. Like we've seen like this spate of works like, Antebellum, um, the movie mm-hmm. that I didn't see, but I heard it kind of sucked. Um, yeah, and things like Lovecraft's um, Lovecraft Country and and them, as them, well. yeah, yeah, things that like maybe they could have been so much better from what I've been reading, um, you know, from black critics and, and viewers. And so having those in the running, like it sets a bit of a disadvantage for works like yeah, this that like- come along afterward. Yeah, is it fair that those works that aren't very good, that do kind of veer into exploitative, um, is it fair that they are the reason why we don't get to see something as well-crafted and as thoughtful as this, mm-hmm. like Underground Railroad by Barry Jenkin- Jenkins? Yeah, it's unfair. It's kind of how I feel about The Good Lord Bird as well. Mm-hmm. Is it's, a ve- it's way more thoughtful than anything that I've seen yeah. um, in recent times about you know that that period of american history i don't know there's there's something to be said about taking this story and making it in a way that gives it the respect it deserves it's all very visceral and i think it's very very important for that to be the case and it's not necessarily the visceralness of the pain it's also the joy yeah um so yeah yeah it's given its proper weight you know the subject matter and the story and yeah totally i think this is a good discussion to have I think it is like a good reminder that, you know, watching this, uh, it takes some care. But uh, like, really, my, I guess, like, top line thing that I would like urge anyone who listens to this or anyone who's like curious is like, take your time and watch it and like watch the whole thing through. Because I think it's really, it, it's just like one of the best works of, of cinema, of television to, to have come definitely. out sometimes. Yeah, definitely. your turn walk walk us through what did you watch this week so this week i watched couples therapy it is on showtime i would encourage all that don't have a a showtime subscription to watch a lot of the episodes on youtube actually they showtime on their channel just throughout i think the first three episodes of the Mm -hmm. first season and then a couple episodes of the second season Mm -hmm. so you can decide if you like it just based off of that um so it is a documentary tv show about dr orna goralnik uh she is a couples therapist and this show is basically her in session with her patients and also sometimes uh her just sidebarring and having sessions with her clinical advisor dr virginia goldner I'm not really into documentary TV shows, but this is something that really grabbed me. There's a lot of thought put into this, speaking of thought. 
Um, mm. and it is created by Josh Craigman, whose parents were therapists. And mm. what's interesting, I found out, uh, through reading a bunch of articles, um, him and another EP, Elise Steinberg, they made the documentary Wiener about Anthony Wiener. Did you ever watch this? No, I didn't. It's really good. Mm-hmm. It's really very good. I mean, it's about his down- downfall, mm-hmm. uh, but it's essentially about him and his wife. It's just, I, I highly recommend watching that documentary if you want to watch one about a guy that can't keep his dick in his pants, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah. um, so um, the way that this worked, the way that they kind of did this, and it, I know what you're thinking, like, who the fuck agrees to be to take couples therapy on TV, right? Yeah, that is like uh, one of the main questions that rose. A hundred percent. Once I even found out it was a documentary show, I, yeah. I was convinced at the very beginning, I was like, this has to be like a scripted thing, right? Yeah, yeah. No, unfortunately, these people are braver than the troops. <laughs> so they, uh, <laughs> so they basically, um, interviewed about a thousand, like over a thousand couples Jeez. just to see who is in it for genuine reasons and who would is would agree to do it just to be on tv basically so they obviously don't want the latter they were searching for the former and you know making sure that they were all comfortable as someone who has is in the field does film things the whole way through i was just like where the fuck are the cameras and then i found out because they do a lot of like sliding shots Mm -hmm. in front and behind the uh the patients and turns out they are behind uh, a one-way mirror the cameras so once oh. the people once the people walk into the office they don't see any cameras so they are basically able to be a little bit more comfortable like a couple minutes and uh, i've read a couple of interviews of the couples and they said that they just kind of forgot that the cameras were there once like they started the session so um this is it's a very entertaining watch. Yes. <laughs> it is very, very entertaining. And as a sidebar, I have been in treatment with my therapist for about four years now. And, you know, amongst my friends that are also in therapy, we all agree that it's like the best thing that we've ever done for ourselves. Um, if you watch this and you're not in therapy, and obviously this is, you know, considering the fact that you might have the means to be in it, but you're skeptical about it. She's so effective, like Dr. Orna. So luckily, I am blessed with a very, very good therapist. Love her so much. She is basically like Orna, you know, just saying one line that is very gentle that just makes you gag. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, just amazing. So um, how how many of the episodes have you watched? Did you end up just watching the ones on YouTube or did you sign up to Showtime? Yeah, so I, I watched the first three episodes of, I believe, the first season on YouTube, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um but actually, like, immediately after I ran out of those first three of the first season, I signed up for Showtime. So yeah. I keep watching. So I'm, I think I just finished episode four. But yeah, yeah. I mean, folks, this is like, it's, it's fucking, fucking good, dude. It's fascinating. Yeah, I, it's good. I just had to keep watching. Yeah. I mean, I would not recommend watching, like, you can't really binge this because they're as far as i'm i mean of course you can you do whatever the fuck you want but <laughs> i felt it far more effective to kind of take it in like two to three episodes like mm-hmm. if you're gonna binge binge like two or three at once mm-hmm. because obviously the um i guess the interactive motion of therapy it, it's obviously not how people naturally speak sometimes you just don't want to watch a bunch of couples fucking doing that whole back and forth for like hours at a time but yeah speaking of how entertaining it is What's been interesting seeing therapy on screen through like TV or films, it's been quite something, especially in the last, like, I'm going to say five years, how much it has dramatically changed. You know, not too long ago, people would frown down, frown upon it and would think that it's a cry for help. And people still think that way. Don't get me wrong. It's been interesting seeing how therapists in film are usually used as like expository tools Mm -hmm. i think the thing that really kind of turned started turning the needle a a little bit was the sopranos obviously because you have the most one of the most famous uh therapist and patient interactions with tony and dr melfi uh but i think the thing that was that dedicated a little bit more time to therapy and therapists as a concept um was in treatment which was Mm -hmm. a tv show with gabriel byrne he was a therapist in this. It came out in 20, uh, 2008. It's almost like a theater show in that it's basically all in one room and we never really get to see the patients outside of the room. 
and it's about him as a therapist and he's like the protagonist but also how he interacts with his patients that went through four seasons i would highly i would actually really recommend that show i really love it i think it's really really good um they recent it's on hbo max is that right it's on hbo max they should have the entire back catalog on hbo max if they don't let me know i'll call my people to call their people (laughs) Um, but yeah i they actually recently uh rebooted it um with a new therapist uzo aduba she is playing the therapist in this i am i'm about four episodes into that uh, I don't like it, unfortunately. Mm. We'll see if that changes. <laughs> what? So I say all of that to say, after that, in the last five years, I think there's just been like, especially with the rise of podcasts too, there's been a real interest in therapists, in therapy, what that means, what treatment means. Um, if you are into relationship therapy podcasts or whatever, then you probably know of Esther Perel. She is a relationship counselor therapist and she has a podcast which is basically like this where she records real patients. Oh. Um obviously there's a there's a level of anonymity there because there's no names. There's mm-hmm. no you don't see them. So it's this like couples therapy came out I think in 2019 for the first season. Mm-hmm. So Jenny, what did you think of the way that it's formatted? So I thought that, at least from what I've seen in this first season so far, where it's, you know, a few different couples, and they kind of, like, weave in and out of their different sessions, and there is some sense of, like, the passage of time. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm like, hooked, so it's really successful and interesting. I think it's, I was not sure if it was going to be, like, oh, just, like, a new, like, some new couples, like, every episode, every few episodes. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, obviously, this makes sense, because therapy in theory, like, it works if it's a sustained relationship. You have this relationship with your therapist that develops over time. And more importantly, I think if you're a couple, obviously, you're trying to work on a relationship. And that also involves a lot of time and effort. Mm -hmm. Not just like a, you know, one off, we'll meet this therapist once or whatever. Uh, So I thought it was really smart. I think the variety of couples they chose and all of their different you know, problems they're having in their relationship is, you know, there's some smart casting going on. Yeah, very well chosen. Yeah. 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 And especially just like that, yeah, the aspect of like seeing how things develop. Um, although you're never quite sure like in what order they're developing, but mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. absolutely makes sense like thematically, um, and as like a concept. Yeah. There's a, there's an incredibly smart thing that they do where they show a scene, mm. um, of a couple basically agreeing to break up yeah and you at at the very beginning yeah at the very very beginning but we know as we watch the episodes that that is a flash forward basically Mm -hmm. so and then we we see them basically the progression towards that point yeah they show that scene again and then they show us what happens afterwards um which is incredibly smart like i just i thought that was so genius Mm -hmm. um but you're right the the passage of time the way that the outfits change the way that their demeanor changes from session to session um you really get an insight into what orna's life is like like what her profession is like where she gets one couple one week and then she gets an entirely like they're the same people but they're an entirely different couple the next week. Yeah, um, once once I leave the room and the couch, like there's so many it's just totally unknown like mm-hmm. what the real world and like what real world factors will do, you know, in just the space of a week and it could totally I guess cause like a like whatever happens like the aftermath and in that time between like a relationship yeah. could uh basically fall apart. Yeah, yeah. And that's why the the interactions the conversations that she has with her advisor Mm -hmm. are so important because you get to see the nuance of their profession they're not just you know sitting there listening to your problems she's really trying to problem solve for you even though like her method is very gentle and very like indirect it has it has to be because like so many of these people i mean as you watch this you will understand why you might get defensive if someone directly says something to you. So the way that she like ruminates around the issue and then gently kind of opens up a part of the curtain for you to peek back and stare behind at yourself. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, I mean, that's just good therapy. That's really good therapy, basically. Yeah. And like um, the, the psych aspect of it, like mm-hmm. part of why I thought it was had to be like scripted at the beginning because I was like, you know, the way she gently probes about your past and to find what lingering traumas or ticks or like complexes from that 
directly contribute to the thing that you're talking about, the thing that you're trying to, like, the knot you're trying to untangle with your partner right now. I was just like, fucking hell, this is like, this is what psychology is about. And as a TV show, it just is so satisfying to see those linkages and to see yeah the the skill with which he sort of like navigates um going from past to present mm-hmm. what's funny is that there are certain characters on there that are like they reject that notion that whatever happened to them when they were younger is um playing a part in how they see relationships now they reject it because they don't want to be oversimplified like that but it's mm-hmm. like honey that is how the brain works <laughs> like i don't know what to tell you you're not this complicated ball of like thing that needs to untangle and there's no reason in it and it's as simple as like your partner just has to do this one thing for you mm-hmm. and then it's all it's all good um no, like she is there to remind you that no, sometimes it's as simple as you were fucked up in your childhood. Now you don't know how to, you didn't know how to process that properly. And now it is basically a shadow in your mm-hmm. life that is haunting you. One of the most skill thing that has, that is done with this mm-hmm. is that there is a season arc that, you know, you could just let these people and their mess kind of run, but the way that they use Orna as the person that is kind of taking us through this journey and there is a journey to be had there is a lesson in this there's no reductiveness about this there is some real thought put into the complications of relationships mm-hmm. um and like with the first season arc um it's ba- i mean it, this isn't giving anything away the first season is about you know breaking down that fog of expectation that clouds the way like for you to kind of have some clarity about yourself and how having that clarity of yourself will help your obviously help your relationship and all of your relationships both with yourself and with the people in front of you Mm -hmm. um and then you'll get to this like once you watch it but the second season is a lot about um how to break repeated learned behaviors Mm. from either your past or from your parents like that's kind of like the ongoing um so they're organized a little bit like thematically a season yeah totally totally like interesting yeah you you leave once you complete a season you leave with a lesson Mm -hmm. uh and some way to kind of think about it, it and apply it in your own life but yeah i mean listen we love to be in people's business. I think we yes. as people, we are all nosy. We all want to be the fly on the wall. Mm-hmm. And what is great about shows like Couples Therapy, especially, I think there's nothing like it straight up. Like, I mean, I guess Essa Perel's podcast is fantastic. And I would recommend you also listen to that if you have patience for it. But in terms of TV, there's nothing like Couples Therapy. Mm-hmm. It's really in a league of its own. And what's beautiful about it is that it satisfies that urge of curiosity. It satisfies that nosiness because, you know, people are laying bare how they feel and what's mm-hmm. been happening. But it's really a mirror. And that and you don't realize it until Orna says something that resonates with you or the patient says something that resonates with you because you recognize that that either that trauma response or that emotional response within that person, it might be a completely different story, mm-hmm. but there is something very universal about it, yeah. which is really hard to do because <laughs> it, I mean, obviously therapy, again, it's, it's so private. It's by, it has to be private by design. Otherwise, how else are you going to come out there and spill everything that's going on within you? But the way that she, like, again, it's testament to how good she is. She's been in practice for 25 years. You can see that, you know. Um, she just kind of pulls it out of you um, as as both a patient and then also as you are an audience, uh, which is hard to do. And also just, you know, this is what you want from TV and you don't really get that from you don't really get that from documentary TV shows because it's usually something about like true crime or some shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the truth, <laughs> it, the truth in this, the truth that it holds, the truth that it reflects back to you, the way that it makes you think, it's just, oh, it's just so artfully done. Um, yeah. I love it. I love yeah. this show so much. <laughs> and it really yeah. made me develop or feel like a unexpected sense of empathy, I think, for basically everyone I think I've seen so far. You know, when a couple shows up and, you know, they kind of get into their issue, always, like, the sort of gut response is be like, well, the guy's an asshole. And, like, I yeah, think... Yeah, they should break I up. She, I think she is right. Yeah. And yeah. I think she deserves better or yeah. whatever. Um, yeah. Which is, like, probably, like, by design. But, you know, the way that the episodes unfold, yeah. as we get into the root causes of a lot of these individuals, like, their, their uh, outstanding issues... 
it's it's really astonishing how much I was like, well, shit, I guess I kind of, I can see where they're coming from now. I can see, like, where both of them are coming from. Um, yeah. And it's a, a, some sort of lesson in in empathy, I guess, as, as like, cheesy as it sounds. I mean, I, listen, I am someone that is not very romantic. I mean, I, mean, I am. I love love when it's genuine when it when it comes from a place of care but i don't i don't fall into the tropes of relationships i don't fall into the Mm -hmm. tropes of like me and this is this is the fascination with it too with couples therapy specifically because you know we are nosy about people's lives but we're even nosier about their romantic relationships because we all know that there is like the quiet part that no one ever says loud is that there is always a facade that people are putting on for the rest of the world with regards to their romantic relationships. You have no idea what goes on behind closed doors. You don't know the dynamic. Someone might look perfect, but they're not. But at the same time, we are always projecting perfection upon ourselves, upon everybody else. So it's like there's an expectation to be met, but we all kind of know that it it can't be met the way that we think it needs to be met. Again, the beauty of her job and that that's why it's depicted for you and the way that like you mentioned by the end of it you're just like oh no they really love each other and they're just trying their best mm. and they just don't know how to do it they're just like a pair of kids that have basically like calcified this style of communication mm-hmm. and someone just needs to come with like some lime scale and just break it down <laughs> you know yeah. and that's how obviously that's dr orner's job so it's just yeah man it's it's very it creeps up on you you know, which is what therapy is like. And that's nuts. It's nuts that they've kind of, by by design through her, by the way that they've kind of shown these arcs, the way that they have edited these couples. It's crazy that they have shown how uh, they've captured the spirit of therapy. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, so I love it. Um, do you, before we go, do you, <laughs> do you have a favorite couple so far? Or do you have a least favorite couple so far? And this is just for season one, right? Yeah, I've only watched season one, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll say the one that probably provokes kind of the the greatest reaction for me so far is is Annie and Mao. That's in part because I think from what I've seen so far, it just seems like a unscalable like wall between like like Mm -hmm. the the gap between like what each of them want. Um, But also like especially like hearing stuff that that Mao is saying that Annie is saying it really reminds me so much of like personally what I've heard from male figures in my life like mm. the, like from my my dad from like my mm. brother before um mm-hmm. just so much mm-hmm. about like I mean I hate to like boil it all down to like gender sort of tropes I mean but so yeah. much of it is uh, yeah. like the the idea that if someone if a loved one is hurt by something you're doing or saying, then you can just like as a as a dude or as like Mao or as like my my dad or whatever, you could be yeah. like, well, actually, you know, it's it's kind of your fault for having this reaction. Like you yeah, just shouldn't yeah. rea- you just shouldn't react this way. You I have can't. control over your emotions, yes. and if you don't have control yes. over your emotions, that's your fault. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. that. Um, yeah. so that really, you know, that really got to me. Um, yeah. This couple. Yeah, I mean, Annie and Mao are fascinating. And I think it's what's interesting as you watch it, they both fa- they fascinate Orna as well. I think it's interesting mm-hmm. to see her stumped by them. Mm. Um, yeah, and I love them because they clearly love each other yeah. so much. And this is something about the format of the show. There's a lot of B-roll of the couples and of, like in general couples in public, but they do a lot of B-roll of the couples um, going about their day, mm-hmm. starting the day before they go to bed. There's a lot of that going over the audio of Dr. Orna chatting to her advisor or just chatting in general about mm-hmm. her job and what it means. Um, so you see how affectionate they are with one another. You yeah. see how they, even in session, they, they just look to each other and they're having just a whole conversation just by looking at each other. Yeah. And they have so, like, you know, they reach out their, their hands for each other. They, they yeah. touch each other. It's even yeah. when they're being, even when he's being super condescending to her, mm-hmm. he is all over her, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just not that, you know, that's all that matters. It's totally isn't. He's a prick. Like he, <laughs> there is something about him that it, again, I think in the early stages of, of the season, she says, like, is this a, like, Dr. Orna says to her advisor, like, I think this is just like a gender thing. Like, it's like a feminism thing. You know, it's like a masculinity thing with him. And like, you know, how much should, of that should I approach? Mm-hmm. And you can't get away from it because he is, he's Loki such a chauvinist. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see their relationship progress because they are also the couple that have been together the longest. Yeah. 23 um, years. Yeah. 
So they are an enigma, and I think they stay an enigma, which mm. is why they're so fascinating. But yeah, do you have a do you have a least favorite couple or a least favorite guy? I'm just I'll just go straight <laughs> to it. <laughs> I'll just go straight to it. Yeah, usually it's the guy who is like I think fucking up a little bit. Yeah, more. yeah. Um, like I said, I I feel like I've developed a sense of empathy for all of them a little bit, mm. but I'll, I will say like I think it's uh, Alan of the basically the couple that is immediately shown at the beginning to yeah. actually like be on the verge of breaking up. Um, yeah, Evelyn just, and Alan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Alan like just finding out his like so many things can be so easily fixed if he just would like stop lying about. Yeah, just just stop being a fucking idiot. Yeah, like just have some foresight. Like just oh god, he's so annoying. <laughs> There were so many times in this TV. This is what I mean. It's such a fantastic show because it elicits such a strong reaction. Whatever emotion you're feeling, you're going to feel a lot of it. So if you feel anger, you are furious at this guy. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. And you recognize these people or these traits or these issues just, Mm -hmm. yeah, like you said, like in other people in your life, in yourself, it just, it feels, although they have their specific situations and context, it feels so like broadly universal in a way. Yeah. I mean, honey, if you've got, if a guy is making you do breathing exercises constantly, <laughs> there's something that needs to be fixed. Yeah. No, I mean, their, their arc is incredibly interesting. So I, I urge you to keep going. Definitely. With them. Um, I will say I really did not like Lauren and Sarah, mm-hmm. the, the queer couple of the, of the cohort mm-hmm. for first season. I just find them both very childish in the way that they approach that relationship. Mm. But I get it at the same time. They clearly love each other a lot. The one thing I didn't like in season two, it, they started filming this as the pandemic was happening. Oh. So there's like an episode or two of them in session with Orna with, uh, through the laptop, like through a oh. computer screen. And I just, I, I'm not like I tried watching it for the first 10 minutes and then I just simply skipped over <laughs> and watched the ones where she started having them back in her office again oh um, like everyone masked up or something no no i think i think i guess people got tested uh oh, before they I came see. yeah they're unmasked but there's like two episodes in the middle of season two where it's like it, it's classic pan like they, they talk about the pandemic in the show there's b-roll of the pandemic <laughs> and then it's them just having sessions on screen and it just mm-hmm. did not as you said you you hate you hate watching people watch screens I hate it. Why would I do that? <laughs> um, but yeah, I uh, would highly recommend everybody to watch this. It's mess, like in the best way. It's very, very thoughtful <laughs> mess, but it's mess and I love it. So this week for Culture Notes, oh my God, what the fuck is going on with celebrities? I'm so excited. Paparazzi is back. We are going to be focusing on the Taika Waititi, Rita Ora, and Tessa Thompson pictures of them canoodling together because Tessa Thompson loves her to be the third in every single thing that she, <laughs> every single relationship that she's in. Um, so yeah, these pictures came out, I'm going to say at the top of the week or maybe like on the weekend after we recorded, I've forgotten. And it shows for anyone that hasn't seen it, what the fuck are you doing? Secondly, it's basically, uh, there's like an outdoor wine situation and Rita Ora, who again, I still don't know who she is and what she does. She has the best management in the world, I guess, and the best agent in the world. <laughs> yes. Uh, but so we, there, there was an announcement that Rita Ora and Taika Waititi were dating like a couple weeks back, which kind of like, you know, confused a lot of people because what the fuck. And then these pictures hit the streets, which is basically Rita and Taika. Taika is sitting in between Rita Ora and Tessa Thompson. And he is kissing Rita and then, then he kisses uh, Tessa and then Tessa kisses Rita and they are there's like wine glasses around so they're obviously a little bit they're drunk sloppy, yeah. they are sloppy they are having the time of their lives there is some random guy n- sitting next to Tessa we later find out that that's a model that she's also there, there also some photos surfaced of her kissing him in the same outfit so it all happened on the same day anyway basically this started this whole discussion about hot girl summer uh, you know, obviously post post vaccination lifestyle <laughs> of everybody hitting the streets and just getting horny and like this unbounded sexual energy that was locked up for a year. Now everybody's ready to release it, and Tessa is basically living up to that. But what did you th- what did you think when you saw these photos? <laughs> well, 
I think my ultimate conclusion was like three three hot people being hot together, being hot and horny together. Like that, this is you know nature's healing, etc. Like those old cliches. Um, yeah, yeah, it's back. Like you said, paparazzi's back. Celebrity culture is back. Celebs out here vaxxed and ready to exchange spit, like and just drive all these rumors and gossip. Entertainment. Like, entertainment it's, it's they are doing their jobs finally <laughs> i'm just i'm so happy because of, there was that time where everybody was talking about how celebrity culture is dead because of social media and because of the fact that they are able to kind of take control of their narrative and it's just fucking stupid because they're all idiots right low-key <laughs> and they all kind of like say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or like no one's trying to see i mean i love florence Pugh and i love her cooking lessons but it's also like you're a whole big fucking celebrity what are you doing cooking videos <laughs> but mm-hmm. so th- there was like this whole i guess this whole funeral for <laughs> uh celebrity culture so i'm so happy that there is now a reincarnation of it you know there's a part of me that's like these guys knew what the fuck they're, they're like taika watiti is a funny person in general i think he's also pretty smart yeah and i, I don't dumb. yeah i don't think he's dumb enough to be like i genuinely I'm really, really interested in these two girls. Oh no, paparazzi caught me. I think they knew that the paps were going to get, they were going to get papped. And I think they were like, let's give them something to talk about. <laughs> and I respect that so fucking much because absolutely yes. There has now been some fallout a little bit, a if you can call maybe, it that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Reportedly. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly the uh, Marvel bosses are not pleased. Like the Disney Marvel bosses are not pleased about the fact that taika and tessa have been horny on main i think it's they can fuck off because as far as i'm concerned marvel movies could be hornier and mm. maybe this is what it needed um you know j-lo and ben affleck are continuing this wonderful <laughs> streak of paparazzi photos <laughs> uh there was obviously the one that recently came out where that both of their they emerged from a house with both of their hair completely fucked wow i missed <laughs> that one it's fantastic. And then there's another one of like Ben goes for a smoke on the balcony and, and and Jennifer is doing yoga on the terrace or something like that. There's just like paparazzi mess that's happening. Mm-hmm. Yes, shoot it right into my veins. This is exactly <laughs> what we need. Obviously, paparazzi is terrible. It's an invasion of privacy. But these people are like Taika, Tessa and Rita. They knew what they were doing. I don't think it's an invasion of their privacy. So yeah, it's in, so in much broad, fun. Broad daylight in public. Broad daylight. This yeah. was in uh, like Australia, right? As they were filming or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. There's a certain level of a expectation when you're essentially kind of on the job, but yeah. Can you imagine being Taika Waititi's wife, ex-wife? Sorry. That's oh, are nuts. they are they formally divorced yet, or just separate? Yeah, yeah. No, they they. I think they formally divorced in 2018. Oh wow. I I wonder how Arod is doing also. <laughs> and I kind of want Taika Waititi's wife to just get with A-Rod just to get, you know, just to tie up all the loose oh, ends. Oh, like full circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> just Very have... neat and tidy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just makes sense. Uh, but yeah, good for them. Good for them for just, you know, living their best lives. Good for Tessa. I think Tessa's a real winner here. In um, all cases. Yeah. In all cases. Yeah. Like she, my bisexual queen that won't admit that she's bisexual. Uh, <laughs> good for her. Once again, I also have no idea how Rita is doing it. Um, <laughs> you know, she is, maybe she is witchcraft. A, a mystery, and that is the, the I whole don't, point of her being. What um, the fuck, dude? If you listen, and it's to, funny. If anyone listens to Who Weekly, like you'll know. Like Rita Ora is, is the patron saint um, of of mystery, as <laughs> big as Who in the world, but indeed, working it. but working it, man. She's like. I wonder if she uh, will rekindle her acting career uh, now that she's dating a director. I hope not. Oh, yeah. yeah. She had her uh, Fifty Shades stint and yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. some other stuff. I don't remember. No, it was Fifty Shades. It was Fifty yeah. Shades. She was like the sister of the, the main guy, right? Yeah. God. Celebs are back. Paparazzi's back. Let's fucking go, dude. We really are back in 2004. I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that's us this week. If you are watching anything that you think we should check out, let us know. Some of you already have, and don't worry, we are keeping kind of a list of things to eventually get to, but yeah. thank you. Keep sending those to 
criticism is dead at gmail.com yeah or you can just like you. yeah find us on instagram and twitter criticism is dead all one word mm-hmm. uh check out our Substack if you want for extended show notes bonus tweets mostly um we're criticism is dead.substack.com um yeah i guess thank you so much for sticking with us please if you have not already leave a leave a five-star rating or a review or yeah. both on on apple Podcasts or your podcast of choice or um, podcast app of choice please just say um, nice things in the review as well thank you yeah be, be very complimentary <laughs> um that really helps us through tough times yes <laughs> um, or feel free to tell a friend about us um yeah thanks as always say bon voyage to pellin as she goes off to london yeah i will see you guys back in blighty next week so yeah, <laughs> yeah we will be bi-continental next week hell yeah international baby <laughs> bye <laughs> bye criticism is said is produced by pellin keskin lu and jenny ji chung our music is by rika our artwork and design are by sarah macias and andrew lu <laughs> <laughs>